Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ, and welcome to the audio ministry of Christ Church of Livingston County. The following are three excerpts from a Covenant Renewal worship service led by Pastor Dirk DeWinkle, teaching elder at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. Consequences. 
And we learn this from Peter when he says, if you suffer for doing wrong, what good is that? You deserve it. This reminds us of our need to confess our sins, so if you're willing and able, please kneel. So verse 1 was the greeting from James to the 12 tribes of the dispersion. And we covered that we think that this was written very early in the life of the church, perhaps probably as early as the, the same year that Jesus Christ was crucified and was resurrected and was ascended into heaven. And that the apostle James, the son of, one of the sons of Zebedee, the brother of John, is the author. He wrote it to the young church as they were scattered after the stoning of Stephen in Jerusalem. And the main purpose, James' main purpose, was to encourage the church, especially its ministers, to be faithful in living out the gospel in the face of this persecution that they were experiencing under uh, the, the Sanhedrin, under the Jewish leaders. And so that's exactly where he goes next. In verses 2 through 4, James encourages them to embrace trials, recognizing that they are from God. And they are there for a purpose. God uses trials, and he's improving us through our trials. He's making us more holy. He's making us more mature. He's, he's completing us. Through the mechanism of trials and the patience that comes from those trials. Now in order for us to be able to do this, we must have wisdom, and that's what we talked about last week. And that's what James talks about in verse 5. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. So this wisdom that we need comes from God, and it's a free gift to those who ask for it without doubt. And that's because doubting is an act of disobedience. God has spoken. God has invited us to ask Him uh, in faith. And, and we must not doubt because doubt is a denial of what we already know. Paul tells us in Romans 1 that we know in our heart of hearts that there is a God and all of His in, invisible attributes may be known from the creation, from just opening our eyes and looking around us, from just the mere fact of our existence and being. We may not doubt that God is. And now we have special revelation. We're invited to ask Him and to believe the words of Scripture. In our text today, James makes what appears to be an abrupt change of topic. In fact, many uh, commentaries even will say that, well, James is kind of a hodgepodge of different subjects. So he talks about perseverance or trials, then he talks about wisdom, then he talks about rich and poor, which is what our text today is about. Um, and they just say, he's just kind of jumping around, it's kind of like, like Proverbs, like wisdom literature, where it doesn't connect necessarily. 
However, I hope it will become clear how speaking of rich and poor in the way that James does in our text today fits nicely with what has come before, and it fits perfectly with where he's going next. Now, wisdom issues surrounding wealth are a major theme in the book of James. Um, we'll be coming back to the topic of the rich and the poor. He's going to speak about favoritism. He's going to speak about issues of appearances or worldliness. He speaks of boasting financially, like tomorrow I'm going to do this and this. He says, you must say, the Lord willing. <laughs> you must do it in, in the Lord's will. He, um, and he speaks about, and he condemns the oppressiveness of the rich. So James spends a significant amount of time in his book on these important issues. And they are important, and they are wisdom issues. And they're important because dealing with relationships between different people, people of different statuses, uh, is, is, is all about body life. It's about living in fellowship. It's about living in community. It's about the life of the church. You and me, we're all in the same building, but our bank accounts don't look the same. Our cars don't look the same. We're all in a different place. And yet in the church, we are all drawn into one. And we as a church are called to bear witness of our one Lord. Now, I'm not going to be talking about all of those wisdom issues today. That's what we'll get to in the book. But that theme of dealing with rich and poor is introduced today. And it fits well here because we're in the middle of a section that is about wisdom. So James is going to give us an important principle about the rich and the poor in our text today. He's not condemning or praising the rich and poor here. He's informing both of them what wisdom means for, uh, for how we're supposed to look at the world. He's telling them, this is a principle about how, how do you approach the world? How do you look at the world? What is the principle, depending on your circumstances, what's the principle of wisdom and how, to, how that we're going to base all these wisdom issues off of? Now, if you remember last week when I was talking about wisdom, I, I gave us a, def a definition of wisdom. I, I said that wisdom is living the way that God says to. And James is uh, concerned for this because he's leading a, a nation of kings and priests. And it's a new nation of kings and priests. This, the, the church is a young church. And so the, he's, he's interested in giving them the tools that they need in order to govern, in order to lead, and in order to do that well. Jesus has redeemed us from death, and he's lifted us up out of darkness from the dregs of our sin, and he's placed us in the heavenly realms. He's given us a, a heavenly citizenship, is what Paul calls it in, in Philippians. He, make, he makes all of us, as Christians, children and heirs of God. We are God's ambassadors on the earth. And so this new reality, for the, it, that this is a new reality for the, the fledgling church, this, this brand new church that has exploded in Jerusalem. And this worldview of the poor being wealthy, 
having this, this new uh, value placed upon them, flies in the face of a deep-seated cultural bias against the poor. When, when Jesus comes and ministers to the poor, he's, he, he's doing it counterculturally. Because the Jews were looking for an earthly realm, an earthly kingdom. They were looking for a King David or a King Solomon with strong armies that were going to defeat the Romans. And that was their cultural view. They, they, they admired the rich. They put the rich up on pedestals. The high priest was from a wealthy family. And all of his cronies were from wealthy families. They were Hellenists. They were, they were, they, they were uh, mixing, and mac- uh, uh, mixing Judaism with the Greek worldview so that they fit in in the, in the Roman culture so they could have status. And so they were honored for that. And they, they valued that honor. They, they valued the respect that they had, the, the, the way that the culture looked at them. And so they dressed a certain way and they acted a certain way and, and they were given this, this honor. But this church then is proclaiming a gospel that is free to all. And it flies in the face of the Jewish cultural expectations. And the reason that this works, the reason the gospel works, the reason that the church explodes in Jerusalem is because the church is the church of God. The church of Jesus Christ. The, the church that is that the, the, the people that God has called out from the world to be His people. And He's revealed to them absolute truth. He's given them the eyes of faith. He's given them the Holy Spirit so they can interpret Scripture correctly and so that they can apply it wisely. And wisdom never loses sight of the big picture. What convinces us to become a Christian? It's the truth of the gospel. It's the truth of each and every one of our individual need, desperate need for a Savior. The truth that we are sinners, broken at our core, and that we need the salvation that can only come through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross and his ensuing resurrection and its application to us by the Holy Spirit through faith. That's absolutely true, and this is glorious salvation. It's not works-based. You can't earn that kind of salvation. You can't do it. You can't be good enough. And so that kind of wisdom never loses sight of who we are before God as desperately in need of Him. So when we keep our eyes on God and Jesus, we see that there's a great divide that separates people culturally. But it's not the divide of rich and poor. It's the divide of believer and unbeliever. And that's why Jesus says, I come to set a fire. He's come to bring a sword that's going to split apart families. And that's exactly what was going on in the church at this time. As as Jews were were converting to Christianity and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, and persecution breaks out, parents would turn sons in. Wives would turn husbands in. To be murdered. 
the division of, of these, these nuclear family units, this great pain and suffering that the church was going through. But they were willing to go through these trials because they knew the gospel was true. They saw the power of Jesus Christ. They, they had the power of the Holy Spirit. And so they recognized that their true fellowship was with believers in faith, as opposed to those who denied Jesus' lordship. So Jesus draws new boundaries, and his perfect judgment is the difference between ultimate life and death. Jesus blesses faithful endurance through trials, and he promises a crown of life to those who love him. So now let's get into our text. What does James have to say about wisdom and the rich and the poor? Verses 9, 10, and 11 of James 1. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. So the first and the shocking thing that we see is that wisdom is, of all things, boasting. That's wisdom. James just told us, if anybody lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all freely without doubting. And then he starts giving us a wisdom principle. Let boast. That's, that's, the, that's the first word of verse, verse 9. Let boast. And then, and then the subject comes after it. But the first thing he says, after he says, anybody ask for wisdom, ask without doubting. Let boast, the lowly brother. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation. The poor are told to boast in their high station in Christ. They are elevated from the dregs of society. They have been told their whole lives, you're worthless. You're no good to anybody. You're just a drain on society. And God, Jesus Christ, looks at them and he sees his own image in them. And he stamps it on them. And he says, you're worth dying for. Exalt in that. That's a high position. You're an ambassador of God. And the rich are told to boast in their humbling. James doesn't spend much time explaining the command that he gives to the lowly brother, to the poor brother. He doesn't say, well, you poor people, rejoice in your exaltation because of X, Y, and Z. He doesn't spend much time doing that because it's natural to glory in exaltation. That's, that comes naturally to us. They, they, they are given new life. Of course they're going to rejoice and boast in Jesus Christ who's given them everything. A future, hope, joy, and peace. But James gives some significant justification for the commands of the rich to boast in their humility. He says the rich must boast in humility. 
humiliation because he is like a flower and he will pass away in a short time. Now that metaphor of, of the, the flower that, that pops up in the field and, and withers is a familiar biblical metaphor. Job uses it. Several of the Psalms use it. And the prophet Isaiah uses it. In fact, both Peter and James basically are quoting Isaiah 40, verses 6 through 8, which says, All flesh is grass, and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, because the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. So God's word is permanent, and all flesh perishes. And here James applies that directly to the rich who need to recognize this truth. Now interestingly enough, the context of those verses in Isaiah 40 is all about a proclamation of leveling. This is, this is the prophecy that we have about John the Baptist. And I'm going to read Isaiah 40 starting at verse 3. The voice of one crying in the wilderness... Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight a desert, a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough places smooth. God's leveling the playing field. He's making a road for our Lord Jesus Christ, which means... For the poor is they must exalt and boast in their lifting up. And the rich must boast in their lowliness. Which is exactly what we saw Paul doing this morning in the text that we were reading from Corinthians. 2 Corinthians. Where he's, he says, I'm not going to boast in my own exploits. He's like, that's not profitable for me. I'm going to boast in Jesus Christ. He says elsewhere, I'm going to purpose to know nothing but Jesus Christ among you. It's Jesus Christ that is the only thing worth boasting in. And what that means from the way the world sees things is that the poor people are boasting in their exaltation and the rich people are boasting in their humiliation. This was the message of John the Baptist. In Christ, we are all unified and drawn into one body. The poor are lifted up, the rich acknowledge their desperate need for salvation. Now this boasting in humility goes against the grain. It's not natural to us. And that's why James takes the time to explain this command. And as an aside, it's also why Jesus said it's harder for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. It's not natural for us when we are honored by the world to give up that glory for the sake of Jesus Christ. It's not natural. That's, that's supernatural. That's the Spirit working on us for the rich to turn to God in faith and to humble themselves and to walk in His ways as opposed to doing whatever it is they feel like. So what is James' explanation? Why do the rich have to humble themselves? And I'm going to make it really plain. This is what James says. Look, bub, you're going to die. You're going to die. That's what he's saying. 
Now he says it much more eloquently and poetically. But that's the essence of what he says. You are going to die. And after you're dead, you're gone. You're not permanent. Death is the great equalizer. We learned this as we were going through uh, Ecclesiastes. Death, death makes life vain. Maybe a better word than equalizer is death is the great revealer. Death is what revealed the wealth of Lazarus and the poverty of the rich man in Jesus' parable. It's death that reveals who is really on God's side, who is really deserving of great reward. This life is vanity, it's wispy, it's ephemeral, it's withering, it's temporary, and it has an expiration date. What comes after death is ultimately what matters. And it matters big time, like really, really big time. That's what matters. In fact, like eternally is how it matters. By comparison, this is nothing. Absolutely, you can't compare it. Eternity with a finite period of time. And the older we get, the more we understand how short our time is here. We have some parents visiting us. It just seems like yesterday when your children were born. And now look, they're grown and have children of their own. Time flies. But it takes wisdom to understand this. This brings me to another observation about wisdom. We have already defined wisdom one way, that wisdom is living the way that God says to. But another way to put that is this. Wisdom is the art of dying well. If wisdom is living the way that God says to, it is the art of dying well. And for the wealthy, that means that wisdom is boasting in our nothingness. That's what wisdom is for the rich. Why is that? Why is boasting in our nothingness the art of dying well? It's because of the fleetingness of wealth. Wealth, it dissipates. Life here is short. For the rich, and let me be frank here, we, everybody in this room, here, are all rich. Our nation is the leader of first world countries. And we live in a state that is doing fairly well with the economic engine of the automotive industry. Our county is the most affluent county in the state. The highest median income. And we, the people in this room, in this building, are demographically advantaged in comparison to our neighbors. We have warm homes with paid electric and gas bills. 
We have internet. We have stable families. We have steady jobs and we have access to good education. And we have all of the creature comforts of modern society. It's relative. Some of us are more wealthy than others. But in the big scheme of things, we are at the, the, the highest echelon of wealth. Roman emperors would have, been, would have been jealous of the way that you and I live. The rich, us, we, are very busy in this life. That's what stuff does for you. It makes you busy. It, it, it keeps you occupied. But we must never confuse business or busyness with true life. In the end, we all are pilgrims passing through this life. All that we have is nothing in the grand scheme of things. Don't get full of yourself. In Christ and by the eyes of faith, we declare and embrace and boast in that truth that we are nothing outside of Christ. We are a flash in the pan. Remember that comparison of eternity with here and now. We know that all that we manage and care for in our hands is merely stewardship. We are holding it in pledge for our Lord. It's not really ours anyway. We boast in the fact that God has given to us all of this wealth. And we are undeserving of it. That's what wisdom is. God is good and we praise Him. We rejoice. We give thanks. And the next thing that James tells us is that this kind of wisdom is worthwhile. You're not wasting your time. Verse 12. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. So verse 12 is the beginning of the closing of the first segment of this book. James has written, it's, it's a book, it has, it, it, it has written it with intention, with purpose, it's connected. This, he, James is polishing off this first segment in verse 12 in the next couple of verses, which we're going to get into next week, so stay tuned. But, but here he's beginning the inclusio. It's a rhetor rhetorical term. Um, so verse 12 harkens back to verses 2 through 4. Notice the same words and themes. Endures. That's the verb form of patience. Temptation. It's the same word as trials. And there's this theme of testing when he's been approved. So that in, in 2 through 4 he said, count it all joy when you encounter various trials. Here he says, blessed is the man who endures trials, who is patient through trials. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Here it's a beatitude. Happy or blessed is the man who patiently endures through trials. Living the life of faith through to the end 
is rewarded by the promised crown of life. Now there's an interesting connection here with that crown. The Greek term for crown is stephanos. That's the word. That's the Greek word that means crown. But this word is the deacon Stephen's name as well. That's the same word. His name is, is just the proper, proper name, but it's Stephanos in Greek. Given our context of James writing this to the church at the scattering which followed Stephen's martyrdom, James may well be pointing back to Stephen as a powerful example of this kind of stalwart faith that followed through to the end. And he saw that crown awaiting for him. He saw his Lord in the sky as they were throwing stones at him. And he was filled with the grace to pray for his murderers. The Apostle Paul being one of them. Even if that's not necessarily the case, that James is not tipping his hat to Stephen, the crown is also used by Paul in the same way in 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 through 27. Do you not know that those who run a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it, and everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Notice the great wealth of the Apostle Paul, and he is still focused on disciplining himself, humbling himself, to faithfully pursue that crown of life that Jesus and James promised to us. Life is the test. And death is the great revealer of what that life really was and what it really meant. And all men participate in this test from the poorest to the richest. And from the beginning of the world to the end of the world. Every one of us is on a journey. We're trying to race this race, this life. Every one of us is going to get to that finish line and die. And everyone who dies will see clearly what is now only a shadow and a glimmer. Exercising wisdom is the key to this endurance, this patience, this patient endurance. And that leads to maturity. And as we ripen and mature and become complete, we are harvested to eternal life. Death has now become a prize, a goal. As Paul says in Philippians, to die is gain. It's a crown of glory. It's to be united with our Lord. It's peace. It's the final cleansing so that we no longer have to fight against sin and death in these mortal bodies. We go to sleep and we wake up in his glorious presence. We get to see King Jesus reigning at the right hand of God. So James has now opened his book with the big picture. Life and death. You don't get any bigger than that. And it makes total sense because, as I said in the introduction to this whole series, James is New Testament literature, wisdom literature. A New Testament Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. James is interested in training up kings and priests for the kingdom of heaven. And he's writing to brethren 
Notice the change there from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Solomon writes to sons. He says, my son, do this. My son, do that. But in the New Testament, Jesus calls us brothers and sisters. And James is with Jesus on this. Wisdom demands that in Christ, we keep our priorities straight. We must see God as ultimate and ourselves as James sees himself as Christ's bondservants. In verse 1, he says that. No matter whether we are rich or poor, we belong to Jesus. That has to be our sole identity for salvation. And these eyes of faith will give us joy in trials, patience in adversity, and maturity and completion that will crown us with life. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, let's pray.
and that we are trusting in Christ alone for our own salvation. This table is set by the kindness of God. Welcome to it. Eat and drink. Christ's body broken for us. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to these excerpts from the worship service of Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in these messages, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact Pastor Dirk DeWinkle through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.